This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. So, interesting news. All right, uh, speaking of controversy, uh, I want to talk about what's now become a huge debate around the issue of cultural appropriation and what we take that to mean. Now, in this context, it's about writing and who's in a position to tell a certain group's certain people's, certain individuals' story. Um, you think of one recent example. Is it okay that a white guy like Quentin Tarantino writes a movie called Django Unchanged with a black slave as its lead character? Can writers write about people and cultures that are not their own? Can they do so respectfully and responsibly? And that was a question posed by the editor of a magazine called Write. Write magazine is the in-house magazine of the Writers' Union of Canada in its uh, spring edition. An edition, by the way, that was devoted to Aboriginal writers. It included this uh, op-ed from the editor uh, who suggested that maybe we should encourage this sort of thing. And if you want to call that cultural appropriation, to have writers learning about and writing about uh, people and cultures that are different from their own, Maybe we should have even an appropriation prize as a way of encouraging writers to, to be more empathetic and think outside their own individual personal experience. Many took exception to that. And certainly, look, any column, any position anybody takes is certainly not uh, to be protected from criticism if people disagree with. Uh, Hal Nidzvetsky is the editor of this, well, former editor of this magazine. If people disagree with them, then they can certainly make their voices known. And some legitimate points have been raised here. But there's been a real backlash through all of this. And, and it's not a case of let's have this conversation. It seems to be more a case of there's a right and a wrong opinion. And if you hold the wrong opinion, maybe just keep it to yourself. So Jonathan Kay dove headlong into all of this. Uh, he wrote a piece last week for the uh, National Post about uh, all of this. Did a few interviews uh, on CBC and elsewhere. Uh, And amid the fallout, he has now decided to resign his own position as editor-in-chief of Walrus Magazine. So I want to find out a bit more about uh, why he's bowing out from the Walrus Magazine, what it has to do with this controversy, why he's taken such a position on it. Uh, John Kay joins us on the line here. John, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. All right, well, let's clarify something, because I I think you've made it clear that maybe your resignation from the Walrus Magazine is not directly related to this controversy, but what's the connection? Uh, Well, uh, I don't think there's any secret that, um, you know, there was was a conflict from the beginning. Uh, My role as a a pundit, sometimes a provocative one, uh, and the duties of management, uh, managing a respected magazine, uh, sometimes there's always going to be clashes because sometimes I say uh, things that are politically incorrect and whatnot. Um, So that, I'd say that that tension has been building up for a little while at the Walrus, and uh, it was probably time for me to step down. Uh, but I think this debate we've been having about cultural appropriation is sort of almost a symptom of some of the tension I've experienced in my job and that other uh, journalists have experienced in that. Increasingly, uh, among elites in society, there often is only seen as one legitimate viewpoint to be had on an issue, even an issue like this that I think there should be a debate about because I think there's there's two well-principled sides to what you could argue, but increasingly in Canadian arts and letters, 
writers, editors, poets, artists. Uh, you have to get with the party line or it's seen as unacceptable. All right, so you, you were not initially involved in, in what had happened at Wright Magazine, obviously, but uh, you were particularly concerned about it. Now, you wrote a piece that appeared in the National Post, I guess it was last uh, Friday, was it? Uh, I think that that would be right. So what concerned you about what had unfolded there? The, the, the irony is, you know, uh, the Writers' Union of Canada is not an indigenous organization. It represents published book authors. Um, and what, what I didn't like is the rather ruthless way that TWUC, the Writers' Union, purged uh, their their outgoing editor of their in-house magazine, uh, Hal Nezwecki, I think that's how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the equity task force of TWC wrote this scathing report that suggested that Hal and everybody else was involved was a racist and abetting sort of a colonialist mindset, and that they had malevolent motives. I mean, the whole thing was just completely over the top. And I wrote uh, a tweet um, pointing that out, and I, I thought it was awful. I thought it was political correctness run amok. And then all sorts of people jumped on that tweet, and the discussion on Twitter got a little out of control. Um, but my original anger was directed more toward TWC, and this is an organization that is supposed to support writers. And to be a writer, you need to have imagination. And you shouldn't be imposing speech codes on people or treating them like thought criminals when they write things that um, that people object to. And just to go even further back, so Hal Nezweki wrote this piece that, although 90% of it was was very much in praise of indigenous indigenous literature in Canada, you know, he threw in this this line about how, but you know, we still need people of all races should be able to imagine the experiences of others, and you can call that cultural appropriation, and we should have a prize for who can ever do that best. And that was seen as sort of a little uh, flippant. I mean, it, even I thought that was a little much, probably didn't belong in that column. But it, it certainly wasn't hate speech or anything like that. And I thought it was ridiculous the way the writer of Canada sort of jumped down his throat, purged him, excommunicated him. And these reports were written about what a terrible person he was. And that's what I was criticizing that tweet. Uh, and then that led to a larger conversation. Right. So, I mean, that's not necessarily a defense of what he said, but I, I think in a way, if you look at the point he was trying to make in terms of maybe writers having empathy and, and trying their utmost to understand uh, people or cultures that are different from theirs, maybe that is defensible. So did, did his point get lost or what, what do you make of what he was trying to well, argue? I go further. Um, I, I, I think his, his argument is more than defensible. I happen to agree with it. I think if you're a black person and you want to write a book with a protagonist who's First Nations, or you're a First Nations person and you want to write a book whose protagonist is East Asian or white or uh, Hispanic or anything, you should not only be permitted to do that, but if you can uh, carry it off artistically, you should be encouraged to do that. You know, I'm a, I'm a father of three kids. When my kids go to school, they're taught the spirit of empathy, you know, walk in another person's shoes. They're taught when they read when they read books, it just transport them into another world and other people's experiences, and that's what movies and other art forms do for us. And yet now we have, of all people, TWUC and other organizations that represent artists and writers, uh, taking the position that no, that's that's a sort of thought crime. You shouldn't do it. Uh, you know, if you're a if you're a 27 year old Icelandic heterosexual male, you should write about the experiences of 27 year old uh, Icelandic heterosexual males. It's uh, you know, this that sort of slippery slope argumentum ad absurdum uh, approach, but that is where this leads, uh, where everybody 
quote unquote, stays in their lane and just writes from their own narrow uh, ethnographic experience, which I think is awful. I think that's the opposite of good art. What about the argument, though, that if if it's accepted that, that white males are sufficiently capable of telling stories about uh, women or aboriginals or anybody else, then we don't need women authors. We don't need aboriginal authors, uh, authors etc. Well, that's true, but it <laughs> works the other way. Um, it could be that women are so good at writing books that uh, that we don't need men or uh, or maybe there's some society in in Asia or Africa or South America or any place that 50 years from now will produce such amazing writers that um, our bookstores, if we still have bookstores, are dominated by those folks, you know, much in the way that, uh, I guess it was a generation ago, there was a whole uh, cohort, fantastic South Asian writers uh, who, who briefly, uh, well, actually not so briefly, uh, you know, took over the vogue in, in fiction. And, you know, good for them. That's fantastic. Uh, Art and culture should be a meritocracy. And if uh, people want to read books written by women instead of men, well, that's that's fine by me. I don't think the whole idea of the creation of culture and art should be governed on an affirmative action basis. I will say, however, that if you, you have white people especially who are writing about other cultures, First Nations cultures, Indigenous cultures in Canada, uh, for instance, in a way that's, that's full of stereotypes or full of hate, or treats these people as cartoon characters. Obviously, that is something that is worthy of attack and, and should be denounced. Although I say it should be denounced on cultural and artistic grounds. It shouldn't be denounced uh, as a matter of general principle that the very enterprise of writing about characters from other cultures is somehow inherently uh, malevolent. But then I guess the argument is that that's what history shows, that when this has been attempted, the result has been stereotypes and misrepresentation. I think that's definitely true of certain periods of history and probably for, for indigenous peoples in Canada until fairly recently, it was, you know, it was cowboys and Indians, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or worse than that, or it was uh, Pocahontas. Or it was, I, I, of, of all the arguments made against artistic universalism, I think the very best is the argument that speaks from the particular experience of indigenous people in Canada who really have seen a lot of their culture uh, commodified in this way. And they're particularly vulnerable to it because many indigenous cultures in North America um, are primarily based on an oral cultural tradition. So some of their stories and myths have never been written down. And so when you have somebody who's not from their culture who comes in for a couple of weeks or months and writes down their myths or oral legends and such, and then publishes a book about them, and that may be the first time that those stories have ever seen uh, the printed page, you can see how they would have a special sensitivity to that. Because I'll tell people I happen to be Jewish, and I'll say, well, I don't care if a Gentile person writes about the Holocaust. That may be true, but thousands of books have already been written about that, that tragedy. Whereas there may be lots of episodes in Indigenous history that, that have never been committed to the printed page, and you can see why Indigenous people would not want uh, a white person like me to just sort of swoop in, grab the story, and produce a novel out of it. Uh, that, to me, is the best argument against uh, cultural appropriation. And in those cases, I, I, I'm very sympathetic to the view that, that we should uh, we should not do it. Uh, but as a general principle, I do think that um, barring special circumstances, people should be able to write about any culture they please. Do you think cultural appropriation is is the right term for this, though? I, I think, you know, Hal originally in his in his piece used it perhaps 
to to be somewhat provocative. I, I, do you think the term has the proper meaning here? Um, well, it, cultural appropriation. We've been talking about it in uh, the in the context of literature, um, but it's such a broad term, and maybe it's maybe that's your question. Is like, is it helpful? It's so broad is it, that maybe it's not even helpful. You know, some of the biggest arguments have been in uh, visual representations. Uh, so there was uh, famously, uh, fairly recently, there was a gallery that closed down the exhibition of a woman, a, a white painter, who uh, painted very beautifully in the style of an indigenous painter. And this was seen, uh, one comment, commenter went so far as to call it an act of cultural genocide, which I thought is, is, is way over the top, but it, it shows how, how uh, passions uh, get high on this sort of thing. I remember when I was much younger, uh, 25 years ago in Montreal, Concordia University had an art exhibit and they threw a, a painting by a white painter. It was a woman who had rendered a painting called Femme au Banan, which depicted a black woman uh, carrying fruit on her head uh, in the style of um, uh, women in the, some parts of the Caribbean. And this was seen as racist and an act of uh, cultural appropriation. So this, this is not a new issue. Uh, it's the bounds of sensitivity that people are arguing about. And um, I don't mind it being debated. I think it's important that we debate it, but we can only debate it in good faith if we don't start from the presumption that one side is being horribly hateful. Right. And that's certainly how this has come across, hasn't it? That, um, you know, not only did, did Hal lose his job at the magazine, uh, not only did the magazine apologize, but it seems though it needs to go much, much further. Yeah, um, there is a fear. I, the, the big fear, there's fear on both sides. There's fear on on the side of I think indigenous people that all of their stories are just going to be co-opted into um, by people like me, um, and then there's fear on the side of people like me that artists and writers are just they're never going to be able to escape the limited box of their ethno-demographic uh, experience, and we're. And, and art is going to be suffocated because everyone's going to be terrified to step outside of their, their limited experience. So this this fear on both sides of the argument. And I guess that fear, especially if you amplify it on social media, where everything becomes hysterical in four seconds, um, fear plus hysteria plus social media have, have generated this incredible teapot tempest. Well, it certainly has. I'm sure we've not heard the last of it, but uh, certainly appreciate your insight on this, John. Thanks for joining us here. Thanks for having me. All right, there you go. That's uh, Jonathan Kay, now former editor-in-chief of uh, Walrus Magazine. His thoughts on this whole controversy, 403-974-8255. Certainly uh, some time here for your thoughts, your calls, your texts. We're back with more right after this. Well, welcome back, 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. What about cultural appropriation? What does that mean? That this uh, Hal Nidzvicki, the uh, now former editor of Wright Magazine of the Writers Union of Canada, uh, did he do anything wrong by suggesting that uh, writers should be encouraged to think outside of their own experience and write about other cultures uh, and do so in an empathetic way? Let's go to the phone sometime for your phone calls. Uh, Kirk, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Rob. How are you? Uh, very well, thanks. Right on. So I've listened a few times and first time calling. So. I just wanted to say that the way this has been spun, like no one has ever suggested that there should be a limit on anyone's imagination or on what they should write. Uh, the whole point was like this was an issue that was supposed to feature aborig Aboriginal work. And the editor, by saying what he said, I think that he 
because the thing is, like, Canada has, does have a long cultural history of cultural appropriation. And even today, in most publishing houses, in most newsrooms, it's predominantly white. So this issue was an opportunity to showcase aboriginals. And I think that what his argument was suggesting is just that in the context of the issue that he was the editor of, it seemed to ignore the extent to which cultural appropriation has negatively impacted Aboriginal people. Well, okay, but as you say, I mean, the entire issue was devoted to Indigenous writers, right? Yeah, and that was the purpose of the issue. Yeah. So, but no, I don't think the argument is, well, how you could have wrote that and wrote it in a different issue. I think it was it was all about what he wrote. And he well, yeah, was specifically but... encouraging writers to to write about other peoples, other cultures, other identities. Yeah, and, and I think in the context of the issue, that really wasn't appropriate for the reason that, as I said, the publishing industry in Canada is predominantly white. And even now, still today a vast majority of marginalized writers still have a lot of trouble finding those opportunities. But guess what? A really uh, well-known writer who's white can easily write a story about uh, marginalized cultures and then have a much greater chance of being published because they're connected. Well, so, but I, I mean, we're, are we, well, hang on. Are we talking about fictional writers? Are we talking about publishers? Are you talking about newsrooms? The because, whole industry, well, that's not the actually, same industry. You, I mean, you talked with Jonathan Kay. Like, this is now involved a lot more than uh, just writers. And I think even if you looked around your own newsroom, uh, based on what I can see, it's predominantly white. It would be the same as saying that, oh, let's have uh, someone who's not Aboriginal host. Uh, one-hour daily show about Aboriginal issues and then have on as guests people who are not Aboriginal to talk about it. Right. So no one is saying, like, don't do it. Like, And you know what? That's not even... You, you can do that if they're relevant topics. I'm just saying, like, the idea of encouraging, like, that, like, I think from the Writers' Union of Canada, whose mission really is to serve, like, all Canadian writers from, you know, every... Well, industry. and then that's what they're doing. So that, that's what seems, even, even in, in the, the piece that's so controversial, he writes, Indigenous writing is the most vital and compelling force in writing and publishing in Canada today. And this is because Indigenous writers, buffeted by history and circumstance, so often must write from what they don't know. And so it talks about why it's so important to give these people a voice and why the magazine did exactly that. And yet this guy has been, been made out to be some, some kind of villain here. Well, you know, like, I, I agree that maybe on both sides, I think people have, uh, like, assumed that the argument extends to its, like, fullest, most extreme scenario. Um, so, yeah, I will say that on both sides, there has been, like, maybe too much harshness and less conversation and discussion. So, yeah, yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. Okay. No, fair enough. Kirk, appreciate the phone call. And I think Kirk, Kirk gives an example, a good example. If we decided on this radio station, we're going to have a, a show that's devoted to women's issues or Aboriginal issues or whatever, and a white guy is going to host the show, and a white guy is going to be the first guest on the show, etc. Yeah, you, you could object to that. I, I understand that point. Uh, let's squeeze in uh, Jeremy's call here. Jeremy, go ahead. Rabbi, saw Django Unchained. 
Yeah, me too. Yes, it was written by Tarantino, but I think it was a great way for, I think it was a great show about how terrible and awful slavers were, Southern Americans were back in the day, and what the hell they put those black people through. So yep. just because he's white, he's not supposed to write about it? That in itself is racist. Well, yeah, kind of, in a weird way. Now, Jeremy, I agree with you. appreciate the phone call. Just like, uh, I think, a black author or a screenwriter could write about that perspective of white slave owners. Uh, sure. So, uh, yeah, we, I think we should encourage this, but but still be sensitive, I think, about some of the issues that, that the previous caller raised. Uh, anyway, when we uh, come back here from the 130 News, we will be joined by Calgary MP Michelle Rempel. We'll talk about uh, her concerns, a number of uh, Calgary leaders speaking out about what's going on with the Green Lines. We'll find out what Michelle Rempel's so concerned about. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.